Welcome to Cohen & Company's Chief Insights Podcast, a thought leadership series designed for C-level executives, board members, and other top decision makers. Hello, I'm Scott Swain, a tax partner in the High Net Worth Group here at Cohen & Company. Welcome to this episode of Chief Insights. Today, we're going to talk about year-end tax planning and some things you should be thinking about with your advisors before December 31st. I'm joined by Phil Baptist, also a tax partner at Cohen & Company. Thanks, Scott. I'm happy to join you and talk about this topic today. I've been around for a long time, and it's interesting where we're at now compared to in the past. Okay, great. Well, let's start by giving our listeners a general feel for the tax planning landscape this year. Okay, one of the biggest impacts on um, year-end tax planning is the Tax Cuts and Job Act that passed effective in 2018, which really changes a number of things that we do um, at year end. So kind of from a big picture, obviously there were rate reductions and in, in, in other things, but um, from a tax planning standpoint, one of the big changes was in the itemized deduction area. A number of deductions were either taken away or eliminated, including the personal uh, exemption was eliminated in, in the exchange was for a much larger standard deduction. Right, certainly. Uh, So one of the things that uh, Phil touched on there that definitely has changed would be, uh, you know, dealing with state income tax deductions at the end of the year. In the past, uh, it was a big production for a lot of clients figuring out whether or not to pay those uh, state income taxes, city income taxes, or real estate taxes by year end. With the changes in the tax code now capping all of the tax deductions at $10,000 under the new tax law, that really isn't applicable for most folks anymore because they're going to be well above $10,000 in total between between all those taxes. So that's a, really a big change in what we're doing at year-end. Another item to consider regarding year-end tax planning would be cliffs in the tax brackets. And what I mean by that is breakpoints in the tax brackets that you know once you exceed them, a benefit that you're receiving under the tax code drops to zero or or starts getting phased out to the point where it gets eliminated pretty quickly. And there's a couple areas where this applies. Uh, The qualified business income deduction, for example, the child tax credit and some other credits are are affected by these, you know, these cliffs in the tax brackets, as well as uh, Medicare parts B and D can be affected by, you know, by your income as well. That's interesting, Scott. Um, And actually, I had a... um a mother of one of uh, my clients where this a few years ago that uh, these cliffs really uh, came into play and it was on this Medicare issue. Our client was planning on how to um, have his mother take income out of her IRA to spread it out over a lifetime. And, uh, you know, we were looking at the income tax consequences of doing that. Um, and then he was uh, yelled at by his mother because her Medicare premium went up $200 a month based on what they were doing. So, um, you know, there are all these kind of crazy cliffs, whether it's capital gain taxes and other things, but people that have incomes of anywhere from two to $500,000 need to really pay attention to these cliffs and really factor in their decision-making process when they go through this. Scott, the other thing that's uh, on the um, horizon is next year's a uh, presidential election year, and I know there's a lot of uh, talk about that and what, what people think about the future of tax rates versus where we're at today. So I don't know if you have any thoughts on that. Yeah, you know, I mean, we, we should be in sort of a, a status quo situation for 2020 uh, compared to with what we had for, for 2018 and 2019. 
Uh, but, you know, definitely with the presidential election on the horizon and then, you know, potential changeover in Congress, you could be looking at higher tax rates if the Democrats do get into office, if they're able to push legislation through. Nothing before 2021, I'm sure, but but that's a possibility. And we've got the uh, the rates will revert back to the old 2017 rates at the end of 2025. So heading into 2026, unless there's new legislation passed, you know, you would revert back to those higher rates that, that we had in the past. But it seems like for the time being, given the, the state of uh, politics today, there's not likely to be any changes for 19 and 20 so that... Uh, people can kind of plan assuming they know what the rates are at least and and what the tax law is for 2019 and 2020. So that's about all you can do now. And it's harder to look farther down the line to see what, uh, what's, what's happening. Right. You know, so Scott, with that, you know, if I'm an individual, um, whether I'm a business owner or an executive, uh, what, what should I be thinking about doing in the next few weeks to get done by the end of the year? Sure. So I'll run through kind of a, a quick hit list here, not in a lot of depth, but th- these are really the big ideas. Uh, you know, with the change in the itemized deduction regime that we talked about, charitable contribution planning is a big thing. And the concept really is bunching your charitable contribution so that you have a large contribution in one year that will allow you to itemize in that year. And then maybe you skip making contributions for a couple years, at least significant ones, and then, you know, take the standard deduction in those years if, if you don't have enough deductions to otherwise itemize. And, Scott, I think, you know, we see this a lot with clients. The stock market's been very good in um, 2019. So clients that have appreciated securities, I think, work pretty well with that technique that you're talking about. Right. Yeah. So if you did want to, you know, have a large, uh, make a large contribution this year to, to fund a couple years worth, you know, if you do transfer appreciated property, uh appreciated stocks, for instance, as long as they're long-term property in in your hands, uh, you can get a full fair market value deduction for those, and you don't have to pay the built-in capital gain tax on those assets. So it can be a great way to avoid some capital gain taxes and, you know, make that large charitable contribution. And again, that helps with these cliffs in your law, whether it's uh, based on your taxable income or adjusted gross income, to not have that capital gain and helps with all those various limitations. Absolutely, yep. Uh, and, and one other thing I'll just touch on there, donor advised funds, uh, if, if you're not familiar with those, are another effective way to to make a, a large charitable contribution and execute this bunching strategy. They work sort of like a foundation in that the assets you contribute uh, will sit in a fund that's r- really, you know, for you to direct going forward. You, you sort of own the account but the assets really are in the hands of the charity, and you can direct the charity over time to distribute those assets to your favorite charities. This allows you to continue to fund your charities on an annual basis versus funding them for a year you know, with, the, with this bunching strategy and then not funding anything for three or four years and then funding them again. Uh, it's a way to sort of even out your, your distributions to your favorite charities. Uh, and you can also contribute appreciated securities to those vehicles as well. Yeah, and Scott, I think what's important is I've found um, with the changes in the tax law and the limitation on state and local deductions, income taxes and real estate taxes to $10,000, a lot of people in the higher income ranges, if they don't have mortgage interest, their only other itemized deduction is generally going to be their charitable contribution. So their first 14000 of charitable deductions really are not giving them a benefit or so. Right? Yeah, that's so. absolutely right. And that's that's the basis of this strategy is to, 
you know, t- make a big contribution in one year and then avoid that, that first 14000 that you're not going to get a benefit from in those future years. Uh, so that's sort of the first the first thought. Um, the second thought is sort of a hybrid retirement and charitable thought, and that is you know just make sure you are getting any uh, required minimum distributions from your IRA distributed out. You know, of course, once you reach age seventy and a half, you have to start taking minimum IRA distributions unless it's a Roth IRA. And then uh, the other thought would be you know you can make a direct transfer of IRA assets to a charity and avoid paying income tax on that income. So again, back to this idea of uh, limiting your income for the purposes of these cliffs, by making the direct IRA transfer to charity, the income isn't counted as income. You don't take a deduction for it. It just really is ignored on your tax return, which can be a good answer in trying to keep your adjusted gross income down. Uh, I will note that you have to be over age 70 and a half in order to make a direct transfer like this, and it's capped at $100,000 per year, but can be a pretty effective strategy for, again, for, for charitable purposes. The next topic I wanted to mention was, you know, just maxing out your retirement plan contributions. So maxing out your 401k, maxing out your HSA if you have one of those set up for, for your health care, and taking advantage of any matching contributions by, by maxing those out, similar to what we would have done in the past. This isn't a new strategy, but just kind of a reminder to, to go ahead and make sure that that's all taken care of by year end. You've probably got time to get that last payroll adjusted yet at this point. Uh, another old strategy that's still applicable under the new law would be harvesting capital losses to offset any capital gains that you've had during the year. So, you know, reviewing your portfolio, if you've got some losers in there that you can sell, uh, you, can, you can definitely offset some of those gains. Just keep in mind the wash sale rules. You do, do need to stay out of the position for a period of 30 days before you can buy it back. If you violate those rules, the, the loss is non-deductible in, in the year of the, the sale. So. so another capital gain strategy I'll touch on would be qualified opportunity zone funds uh, or qualified opportunity zones in general. It's a very complicated area. The gist of it is if you have a large capital gain, it's an ability to defer paying tax on that gain by investing in uh, economically depressed areas that the government has identified. So it's a lot more complicated than that. There are funds out there where investment managers are pooling assets to take advantage of these rules. So it's something that you could potentially still get into by the end of the year if you had a large capital gain and were you know, we're motivated to try to defer some of that gain by investing in a business or real estate in one of these areas. And it's interesting, Scott, we've had a lot of clients that there's been a lot of discussion and investigation of this, but um, we haven't seen a whole lot of of clients making the final decision to jump into these funds because there is true economic risk in some of these things ultimately for them to pay off. Right. Ultimately, it needs to be a good investment long term in order to make the strategy work. Um uh, the last thing I would mention would be, you know, don't forget about year-end gifting. Um, so this isn't an income tax concept, more of a estate tax planning. But you, under the current rules, you can gift up to $15,000 to any other person uh, during a year without having to report it on a gift tax return. Uh, spouses could each give 15000 So if you want to max out your, your gifts, it would be a total of 30000 between the two of you. One other topic I'll mention in terms of gifting would be making contributions to 529 plans. So if you do uh, have designs to do some education funding for your children or your grandchildren, uh, there are deductions available in many states. 
uh, where you can you can take a deduction from your state taxable income if you contribute to uh, to your resident state's 529 plan. So that's something to think about too. Uh, and I believe that's all I've really got in terms of the individual strategies, Phil. Uh, I think I'll uh, kick it back to you at this point to walk through some more strategies, uh, more business-focused strategies. Okay, great. Thanks, Scott. And yes, it's certainly for individuals, there is a lot to think about executing by the end of the year. On the business side, tax reform, one of the biggest items that received the most um, publicity was the lowering of tax rates for um, what are called C corporations or regular corporations, which caused a lot of discussion in kind of the middle market family business environment. Um, when I first started practicing in the 80s, the rules kind of changed um, with Tax Reform Act of 1986, which made it much more favorable for um, small businesses to be taxed as flow-through entities. And the main reason was is when the business sold in, in a, a C-corporation structure, there's a double tax. So the entity pays tax, and then the shareholder would ultimately pay tax on the money they received out of the company. So those combined rates were quite a bit higher than what they were on a flow-through basis if they were just taxed um, one time to the individual shareholder. So that's held true for all these years. Um, when the corporate rate was reduced to 21%, People really caught their attention because individuals are kind of used to paying, you know, near 40 percent uh, on a federal tax basis. Um, that was lowered to 37 percent in tax reform, but still a pretty high rate. So there was a lot of discussion with clients: should they convert their uh, businesses? Most did not uh, convert to C corporations because there was also a provision added to try to lower the tax rate for flow-through businesses, and that was called. Um, we had mentioned earlier the qualified business income deduction, which gives you a 20% deduction, which ineffectively lowers the tax rate in a maximum environment to about by 8% or so. So you're looking at a below 30% rate for flow-through versus a 21% rate for C-corporation. So that differential is not as much. And then when you factor in that someday you may pay another uh, tax at the individual level, most people... Uh, decided that they would just remain as um, as S corporations, but it is something you should look at. There's some nuances uh, to that that may require um, or consideration to uh, to look at a C corp for some or part of your business um, structure. Uh, and again, keeping um, back to this issue of cliff taxes, one of the big ways you can control your income if you're a business owner is to look at the business itself and try to lower its taxable income that's going to end up being reported on your individual tax return. One of the biggest incentives in the tax law was the very favorable write-off of fixed asset or equipment purchases. Um, there's 100% bonus depreciation in the law currently and also um, – a very large ability to expense current year asset additions. So, you know, with that, you can um, really drive down income in any one year. I would caution you, though, as you move out in years and you took this deduction, um, you're, you're not getting the deduction in future years. So especially if you financed um, your equipment purchases with uh, bank debt and took a big deduction, you're now going to have uh, loan repayments in future years without a tax deduction to offset that. So you need to really plan your cash flow accordingly. 
that reminds me with, you know, this time of year, I'm always um, laughing at the TV commercials where people are buying each other cars and trucks and putting a bow on. But I guess really these commercials should be about the tax deduction, right, that people can run (laughs) around now. Um, And you laugh, but if you can, you know, take possession of the car by December 31st, you can get a significant uh, tax deduction because on uh, SUVs especially, there's 100% bonus depreciation on that. So you can... um, create a big uh, deduction if you're in need of uh, a vehicle by the end of the year. Phil, the the other thing I would mention there in terms of uh, buying autos or SUVs or something like that, you know, just be careful. Make sure that they're business use assets if you're going to take the bonus depreciation. You know, if if there's going to be significant personal use, greater than 50% personal use, you know, that may be a situation where you don't want to take bonus on that asset and just, you know, depreciate it over the normal life and, uh, you know, avoid some recapture issues that you might have with the bonus depreciation. Yeah, thanks, Scott. Um, Some of the other things that, you know, we look at at the business level is your overall method of accounting. A number of service businesses um, use the cash basis of accounting, and as such, they can prepay expenses and or if there's an ability to defer collection from uh, some of their customers, they can manage their income accordingly. Um, some other things that we look at, again, are accounting methods that our clients use, and is there an ability to increase deduction or push off income uh, into the future. One of the areas that may be applicable, uh, depending on the industry of your business, but one of the things that's happened in the you know kind of metals business this year, especially in steel, um, the price of steel in the market has dropped significantly. So people may have inventory that's actually at a cost that's higher than what they can sell it for. Financial statements would probably put a reserve on that. Um, For tax purposes, that reserve is not deductible, but if you elect a method called a lower of cost or marketing, and that is something you can do up until you file your tax return, you can take that reduction as a um, tax deduction this year. So that is something we'll be looking closely at for our clients in kind of the commodities business. Um, there's also, uh, in tax reform, a more simplified deal uh, ability to deal with um, if your business receives advance payments and you're on an accrual basis, there's an ability to defer one-year uh, amounts of those um, advance payments that aren't earned until after the end of the year for a year. So, again, that's something that can help and should be looked at to take into account as you try to manage your overall income and in, in taking into account these um, kind of cliffs and things that you deal with. Another thing that um, businesses can look at, especially for their owners, are qualified retirement plans, either to make sure, as uh, Scott mentioned on the individual side, you know, traditional 401k plans and things like that, but there's an ability to put in pension and profit sharing plans and some more exotic plans that um, can allow owners to take uh, individual deductions, you know, two, three, four hundred thousand dollars a year. Um, those plans have to be um, signed into place by the end of the business's year, generally December 31st. So, but there is still time to look at that, and, and this is the time. So, if somebody's had a really good year, that's something else that. Um, uh, that you can look at. You know, a lot to think about by year end and, um, you know, to make sure you're really trying to hone in on where you where your income is and what, what moves that you can you can make. 
I think we've pretty much covered everything, Phil, but, uh, you know, hopefully we've provided you with some food for thought on some tax savings opportunities here before the end of the year, and we wish you all happy holidays. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Chief Insights. Subscribe to this podcast series at cohencpa.com slash podcasts. To gain more insights that may impact you, visit us at cohencpa.com slash impact. Cohen and Company is not rendering legal, accounting, or other professional advice. Information contained in this podcast is considered accurate as of the date of recording. Any action based on information in this podcast should only be taken after a detailed review of the specific facts, circumstances, and current law.